Well, if you have your Bibles, you can take your Bibles out. Matthew chapter 5, whether you have your Bibles in, in electronic form or hard copy form or whatever form or whatever media you use to read Scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at the Beatitudes. It's one of the first sermons that Jesus ever taught. It may be one of the most important sermons that he taught because he began teaching this series or this, this sermon and trying to help them understand the Christian life and what does a Christian life look like and, and the depths of the Christian life. And so he gathered a bunch of followers together and he took them up on this mountain and it was a natural amphitheater. And he, he may have had a little bit of a different sermon than you would think someone would have when they're launching a, a ministry. You see, when you look at the ministry of Christ, you find the larger the crowd, the harder the message. I mean, he didn't try to make it easy for anyone. He wanted to know who were his true disciples and who were his followers. And he begins talking about this subject about joy and how to find joy in, in life. And so many times what we struggle with is this issue of joy, and, and we get it confused with happiness. And we know that happiness is fleeting, right? We know that happiness doesn't last. fact is, when you look and you study the word happiness, you find that it comes from two words, happenstance. In other words, happiness depends on your circumstances. It depends on the situations that you're going through in life. That happiness depends on people around you, circumstances, situations, positions, economy, all of these other things. I mean, it's temporary. fact is, Time Magazine, many years ago, launched this, 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 this deep study into the issue of happiness. fact is, they called it the science of happiness. And what they launched to f- or try to find out is, is, can you find happiness or can you fan- find lasting happiness that never goes away? And then if so, how do you find it? After years of surveys and, and, and study and, and psychologists being involved in that, they came to the conclusion that, you know what? There is no such thing as lasting happiness because it's it's temporary fact is what they found was marriage won't bring you lasting happiness uh your profession won't bring you lasting happiness Uh, education won't bring you lasting happiness Uh, money fact is a lot of times money will give you social anxiety and it brings a whole nother set of issues into your life hobbies entertainment fact is what time magazine found was that there is no such thing as lasting happiness Because it's dependent upon you, it's dependent upon the circumstances that surround you. But our world, and even Christians, are truly looking for this issue of of happiness. Fact is, if you go and Google the word happiness, you'll you'll get over 12 million hits. If you go to Amazon.com and you want to pick up a book on the issue of happiness, you'll get over 3,000 titles if you search for the word happiness. That our world, and unfortunately a lot of times many Christians have bought into this belief about this issue of, of happiness. And I, I, just, I just wonder, how much do we sacrifice joy for happiness that's fleeting, that doesn't last? I mean, Jesus begins talking about this issue where, where true joy is found in life to where it's not dependent upon the people around you. And it's not dependent upon um, circumstances or situations. But there's this joy that he offers, that regardless what you walk through in life, you can find joy in the midst of difficult circumstances, and you can find joy in the midst of great circumstances. And Jesus begins talking to his followers who who were, were Jewish by nature, and there's some things you need to understand. You see, the Jewish people... They, looked, they, they accepted the word, they processed the word much differently than we. 
You see, as Western Christians and Americans, we compartmentalize our life, and we're good with that, and we have different compartments for life. But see, the Jew wasn't like that. The Jew looked at everything as being spiritual. Fact is, if you study the Hebrew text, the Hebrew Bible, what we would call the Old Testament, you would find that there's no word in the Hebrew for our English word spiritual. That seems strange, doesn't it? But it was because the Jew saw everything in their life being spiritual. You see, the Jew, you didn't ask a Jew, how's your spiritual life? You just ask them, how's life? Because for them, everything was spiritual. Fact is, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, they have the Shema. And the, the Jew would learn at a very early age the Shema. And they would recite it two and three times a day. The Shema goes like this. The Lord your God is one. Love him with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. You see, for the Jew and the people that Jesus was talking to, they got it that this issue of life, everything came under the umbrella of spiritual. But not so much with us. I mean, uh, here, here's a slide of, uh, to try to help describe this, that a lot of times what we do in life is, is we, we put things in a file cabinet or we put life in a file cabinet and we segregate out our life or we compartmentalize our life. And so over here, we'll, we'll maybe have relationships. And relationships, that's where our marriage falls under. That may be your dating life. That may be your love life. That may be friends and family. But we'll have, we'll have a file jar for, for relationships. And then we may have a file jar for, for a profession or for, for our professional life, and that would be our education and, and our job and the company and where we go to work and what we do for a living and, and how we do that. And then we may have an entertainment drawer. And the entertainment drawer would be like maybe your hobbies or sports or things that you like to do, hanging out with people. It may be the TV shows you watch, the, the things you view on the internet. It may be the things that you like to do, and so we'll have that drawer. Oh, and then we'll have a financial drawer, and that's like our drawer. That's where our money is kept, and that's how we make decisions, how to spend money, uh, what we do with money, how to take care of money. And so a lot of times we look at that and say, that's my money. And so then we go over and we'll have a political drawer, a drawer for politics, and that's how we decide who to vote for and the politician that we like and and all of those other things. And then, oh, and we'll have a spiritual drawer. And see, the spiritual drawer is where going to church fits in that file drawer. Going to church, maybe reading the Bible, maybe, maybe worshiping on a Sunday or a weekend, and, and uh, maybe some other things that we do spiritually. See, unfortunately, in our time, we view being spiritually as only a relationship between us and God, and it doesn't connect with anything else. But Jesus never taught that. In fact, as Jesus said, a follower of mine, they get it. They understand that everything in their life is spiritual. Every decision they make, every choice they make, that everything falls under that spiritual category. And listen, it didn't take me very long at all to be a pastor to realize that, you know what, the majority of people, when they come on the weekend, you guys are good with me opening up the spiritual jar. Fact is, you expect it. And you don't mind me talking about the Bible, and you don't mind me talking about the teachings of Christ, and you don't mind me talking about some things, but if his word starts to open up the entertainment jar the financial jaw, the relational jaw, I'll get my fingers slammed. Because you don't view 
See, you don't view your spiritual life being connected to any of those other drawers. And that's why we make decisions based upon what makes me happy. Because it becomes all about me and I, I decide. And I make decisions based upon that, that file cabinet. You know what's interesting about this article that, that Time Magazine did, and, and they did extensive research. You know what they found? They found this, that people that consider themselves spiritual are no more happier than people who do not consider themselves spiritual. Because a lot of times we've segregated out our lives, and we don't understand that joy is temporary. Joy is based upon, our happiness is temporary, and happiness is based upon circumstances. But joy is a dependence on God. Joy is much deeper than that. Joy is when you and I understand. You know what? Everything in my life comes under the umbrella of faith. Every decision, how would our lives be different? If before we made that decision, if before we asked that person out for a date, if before we made changes, we understood that it came under the umbrella of faith. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. See in the crowds. Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now this word blessed is deeper than happiness. This word blessed is more than happy. This word blessed is this deep inner joy. This joy that nobody can take away. This joy that is not dependent upon circumstances, is not dependent upon situations. It is a joy that is dependent upon him and him alone. And so he goes on and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. He's talking about joy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, be, say, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the, poor in, uh, the, the pure in heart, for they shall see, one, see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will, shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just four things about this issue of of how Jesus saw a crowd, because the scripture says that Jesus, seeing the crowds, begin this teaching, begin this sermon. The first one is this, is that Jesus had a... Jesus had a vision for people. I mean, the scripture says that, that seeing the crowds, have you ever wondered when Jesus saw a crowd, what did he see? I mean, what did he see? Did, does he see the same things we do? I mean, when Jesus would see a crowd of people, did, did, he, did he see the crowd the same way we did? Did he see sin issues? Did he see categories of sin and categories of people? I mean, when he gathered a crowd, what did Jesus see? Because the scripture says that he has a vision for people. The scripture says that Jesus, seeing the crowds... And then he spoke these words. Many times we miss seeing what Jesus sees because I'm going to tell you this. You know what Jesus saw? He didn't see categories of sin. You know what Jesus saw? He saw the needs. He saw the hurts. He saw the pain. 
He saw the difficulty of their life. And when you look at his teaching and when you look at this sermon, you find that he began meeting that in this because he, he saw the, the needs. He saw the hurt. Jesus talked about the Shema in, in the New Testament. Remember he quoted that? Uh, the Lord your God is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Oh, and he adds something to that. He says, and love your neighbor. And he defined neighbor as anyone around you. Oh, and love your neighbor. How? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen, I've heard a lot of preachers deal with that text, and I've heard a lot of preachers say, especially in in our contemporary world, contemporary society, says, you know what? You know what that means? That means you have to have a healthy self-love, that if you first don't love yourself, you can't love anyone else. That's not what that scripture's talking about. I mean, that's a cop-out. Sorry, I I have trouble loving you because I hate myself. You know what that verse means? And I've watched it played out in my life. Let me explain it this way. I have learned in my life how to love myself more by loving others. I've learned more about myself and about my life in ministry, in this issue of learning to love others, learning to forgive, learning to deal with people that let you down and disappoint you, learning to love people and offer forgiveness and acceptance, what Jesus was talking about. You want to learn to love yourself? You want to learn to See yourself the way he sees you. It's not only through his word, but it's in relationships. It's understanding. I mean, when, when you see a crowd, what do you see? When, when, you, when you look at your family and you look at the relationships around you, what do you see? Do you see their needs? Do you see their hurts? Do you see their pains? Or do you even care? How about this? When, when you come into this worship center and when you come to church and you, you see the crowds and the sea of faces, man, what do you see? Or is life all about you? And is life about you or is church about us meeting your needs and us ministering to you? Because Jesus, he never, never, preached a gospel that it was only your relationship between him and and you. That's part of it. But your relationship with him should flow out to other people and flow out to the kingdom and flow out to the community. I mean, he never had in mind of this compartmentalization of lives to where your spiritual life doesn't affect your marriage and doesn't affect your dating relationship and doesn't affect your profession and doesn't affect how you handle money. See, he saw everything, everything being spiritual to where we lived in this bankrupt state, to where we lived in this this state to where we understood that joy was dependent upon him. And he met the needs when he saw the crowd and he understood their needs. He told them, and listen, this sermon is in the imperfect tense, which means this, that it wasn't a one-time sermon. That this, church, this, this, this sermon had, had present tense implications, but it also had, had continual implications or future tense implications. In other words, this sermon is something they would need every day. 
And he looked at this crowd, and he saw the needs, and he saw the hurts, and he saw the pains. And he says, I want to encourage you. Because you can find joy in every area, in every circumstances of your life. There will be times that you will mourn. But in the midst of that, when you understand that everything is spiritual in your life, in the midst of that, you will be able to find joy that a world cannot take away. That there will be times that you may go through in life where you're just spiritually dry. And you don't know why. There'll be times in your life where you'll mourn and you'll be spiritually dry. There'll be times in your life you'll have peace. There'll be times in your life that you'll just hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's just like you cannot get enough worship and you cannot get enough scripture. And it's like those, those life journaling moments are just, just so personal and so intimate. And he makes a great promise. He says, in those times, you will see God. And there will be times that you will be persecuted. There will be times that people will insult you and say all kinds of things about you on my account. And I want you to know. And I want you to know you could find joy in the midst of that. And let me tell you something. God is here with us today. And he sees your need. He sees your hurt. He sees your pain. He sees the areas of your life that you would say, I need joy in that area. See, one of the reasons that Jesus was able to reach so many people, see, Jesus never had a problem with reaching a crowd. You know why that is? Because he met the needs of people. And he ministered to them. Jesus understood and communicated to them the spiritual life. The second thing is this, is Jesus had a reaching, reaching plan for people. I mean, Jesus not only had this vision, because a plan always comes out of vision. You never get the plan first, then the vision. The plan uh, allows the, the vision to take place. But you always get the vision first. The vision comes first, and then the plans are laid to, to accomplish the vision. And Jesus was no different. See, Jesus not only met the needs, but he had, a, he had a plan to meet the needs. He had a vision to meet the needs. And the scripture says, it says this, and so he went up on the mountainside. I mean, he, he gathers this crowd, and all of a sudden, the area that he was in could not handle the thousands of people that had gathered around him. So he moves to the side of a mountain on the side of a lake. There was a natural amphitheater where his voice would naturally carry over the water, and they'd be able to hear him naturally. And he begins ministering to them because he had a vision and he had a plan to meet the needs of those around him. In other words, it just wasn't the large group. It was the life group or it was the the small group where people could minister one to another. And the scripture says that he went up to the mountainside and he started talking to them and about the importance of relationships. You know what grows a church? The Spirit of God grows the church, but you know what keeps people in church? Relationships. It's when we're connected to each other, where we understand that it's not all about us, that it's more than just worshiping with a bunch of strangers in a sea of faces that we do not know. 
as to where we have relationships with people and we pray for one another and we encourage one another and we support one another and we do life together. And all the way through the books of Acts, you find that they met in large groups and they met in life groups or they met in smaller groups so that they could unpack the scriptures, so they could pray for one another and encourage one another. You see, Jesus had this vision and Jesus had this, this plan. And the third thing is this, is Jesus had a true desire to meet the needs of people. Scripture says, that, and he goes up to the mountainside, and then when he got there, it says that he, he did what? He sat down. Now, see, a rabbi would teach a couple of different ways. One, a rabbi would teach by strolling or just simply walking uh, around. And they would talk, and their disciples and their followers would follow them, and, and they would instruct, and they would teach. But when that rabbi needed to talk to about something that was really important, and he did not want them to miss it, you know what they do? They, they just they'd sit down. Fact is, in, in colleges and in, 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 in educational institution, do you realize that's where we get the chair of? The chair of ethics, the chair of music, the chair of, uh, of philosophy, uh, the chair of engineering. Do you realize that's where we get that? That when a rabbi would sit down, that they knew that he had great authority and they knew that he was about ready to teach them something or talk to them something that he did not want them to, to miss. And Jesus began talking about this Christianity and what it means to be a follower of his and what it means to be a disciple of his. And, and let me tell you something. Jesus made it clear. I intend to interrupt your life. I mean, I intend to turn you upside down of your value systems if you're really a follower of mine. I, deter, I, I intend to bring you to the point that everything in your life comes under this umbrella of faith and you don't segregate out your life and you don't compartmentalize your life. That's why Jesus says, before you follow me, you count the cost. Because there's a cost to following me. But here's what you get. I'll give you joy that no one can take away from you, that the world cannot take away from you regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situations that come to you in your life, I'll give this, you this joy that you don't even understand. Jesus desired, and he met the needs of people around him without condemning them, without judging them, but simply meeting their needs. I mean, have you ever thought about how different your life would be if you got it and you understood every decision you make as a spiritual decision? I wonder. I mean, this thought has been on my mind since, since Monday. I wonder how much joy we sacrifice for a little bit of temporary happiness that's fleeting because we have so compartmentalized out our lives and we've so segregated out our lives to where we believe it doesn't matter what I do in my spiritual life. I can do anything I want and still be a Christian. That, that relationship file cabinet doesn't matter. I mean, because I'm after happiness. And if my marriage doesn't bring me happiness, I'll go find one that does. 
If the relationships around me doesn't bring me happiness, I'll go find one that does. If my job doesn't bring me happiness, guess what? I'll go find one that does. Or the financial chore. Till we understand that all that we have is His. How much different would our life be if we understood to the depths of what Jesus was talking about that a follower of mine is radically different from the world and they see things differently and they understand that everything that they do comes under the umbrella of faith. Last thing about Jesus in this teaching is this, is Jesus was able to speak the truth in love. This unbelievable gift that he had about being able just to speak the truth in love. Ephesians tells us this, that we are able to speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love. What? For the building of others up, not the tearing of down. And Jesus was able to tell some hard things and some hard truths, but he did it with, but he did it with love. And they knew that he cared about them. And he knew that they, he wanted what was best for them. See, there, there, there's, it's important to speak the truth, but it's also important to speak the truth in love because if you don't speak the truth in love, people will become discouraged, right? People will give up. People will say, well, why even try? Just never measure up. But Jesus was able just to simply just speak the truth, but speak the truth in love and put it in such a way that everybody knew the followers there that gathered around him at the, at, at, the, at the lakeside on the side of the mountain, they knew. He cares for me. This issue of joy is so important in life. John 10.10 10 says this, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, But I have come that you may have life and have that life, what? More abundantly. In other words, that you have abundant joy. Listen, let me tell you something. The thief, Satan, he cannot steal your marriage, and he cannot steal your profession, and he, he cannot steal your career. But here's what he can do. If he can steal the joy in your marriage, you'll give up and quit. If he steals the joy in your ministry, he cannot steal your ministry. But if he can take away your joy, you'll give up and quit. And Jesus said, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy when you buy into this issue of happiness. And I just want to be happy. And not understand that only Christ gives joy. It is not dependent upon a situation and a circumstance things that you walk through. The question for us as we start this journey together on the, the Beatitudes in the next several weeks, we'll take one Beatitude a week and we'll just apply it to our life. But the question for us this morning is, do you know what joy is? Are you sacrificing joy in your life for temporary happiness making the same decisions over and over and over that doesn't bring you lasting joy because you've bought into a false belief 
It's it's about happiness. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you this morning, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you as a result of this message? And let me just ask you, have you been seeking happiness? Or have you been seeking joy? If you have been seeking happiness in your life, doesn't matter the area of your life, it will always lead you to compromise. And so this morning, the question for us Do you have joy? Have you been giving your life fully to Him and you understand that it's not segregating a life, it's not compartmentalizing a life, but everything in your life comes under the umbrella of faith? The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Oh, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you have needs? Do you have need joy in your life? You know what? We want to pray for you. And we want to help meet those needs in your life. That's why we exist as a church. See, we don't exist as a church just to grow a crowd. We exist as a church. Not to see the crowds, but to see the individuals. To see the needs, to see the hurts, and then to meet those needs. And so in just a few minutes, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to stand. And when we stand together, if you need prayer for any of your life, we want to pray for you. Our leaders will be down front. All that we'd ask that you do is just as soon as we stand, if you need prayer, you step out, make your way down here. Our leaders will meet you down here. Fact is, you won't have to walk alone. A lot of our uh, leaders will be walking with you. And we want to have the opportunity to pray for you and encourage you. Listen, let me tell you something. This is a privilege for us. This is an honor. This is not a bother. This is who we are. We want to have the opportunity to pray for you. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, please, please, please do not leave this place without receiving prayer. When I pray, we stand, just step out, come to the front, and our leaders will be waiting for you. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your grace. And Father, we thank you that in you we can have joy. Help us to understand what joy is to where we don't compromise for a little bit of happiness.